Thank you, Stephen. Good morning. It's good to be with y'all today. Um, you know, this week, uh, Stephen graciously allowed me to uh, switch spots with him. It's Pastor Appreciation Month, so a couple weeks ago I found a way to get to the ER so that Stephen could preach the, uh, the sermon that he desperately wanted to preach in Exodus 14. Um, but uh, it is good to be here, and um, I just want to say, goodness gracious, it's October. Anybody need to like hear that and take a big sigh of like October? Uh, yeah, kids, y'all should go. Sorry about that. It's October, and it just got here like so fast, just kind of like those two songs fly by when you're preaching in the morning. But uh, just a couple months ago, I want to take you guys back when it was about 100 degrees when you get to your car. You reach back, touch the seatbelt, seatbelt burns your hand, and then it burns your hip because your shirt was like a little up, and it hurts, and then you're sweaty because you walked 20 feet through uh, yeah, through the, the sweatiness of the outside, you get to your car, you're burnt, you reach for the cup of water that you thought was new, but then you grabbed it, and you take a sip, and it tastes like it's out of Lake Lanier because it sat in your car overnight. That is the same kind of place that we find ourselves in Exodus. It's not what you were expecting It's not what you want, but it's what you got. So Exodus 15, we just uh, got to the place where the Israelites were singing a song. Last week, they're praising God for the mighty work that He had done. And three days later, they go without water. There's no place to drink And when they finally get to water, it's a little different than they expected. Uh, So before we move into that story, I'm going to pray for us. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning confessing that we are dependent on you, that we need you. Would you show us that you are good? Would you show us that you are steadfast in love and rich in mercy? And Lord, that you satisfy every need that we have. Teach us your ways and mold us into the image of your son, Jesus. Amen. So Exodus 15, verse 22 is where we're going to be. But like, I want to remind you of a couple of words that the Israelites said in the passage right before. So this is three days prior. They're saying, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. And the Lord will reign forever and ever. That is the backdrop to where we're at this morning praising God for crossing the Red Sea. They walked between two walls of water and had a worship service for God. Verse 22, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness 
and found no water. Three days journeying in the wilderness. They left a large body of water to look for the promised land, and they find, find neither of these things. They don't find any water, and they're not at the promised land yet. You guys ever left like a worship service where the sermon was really convicting, the worship was great, Riley picked a great set, and you just feel on fire for the Lord, only to get home and the washing machine has like flooded your kitchen, or you have a text from, a, from an old friend that has told you that they've left the faith or don't believe in God anymore or that someone in your family has cancer, and you're like, how do these things work together? We saw an awesome work of God. I feel that it is, it is so true, the things that we have studied and learned about the Lord, but it's inconsistent with the life that I just stepped into. Because outside those doors, it's hard. Anybody feel that this morning? Or you are, maybe you're in here and you're just like, I need some rest. And you come here for rest knowing that out there you're about to step into chaos. This story is for you. The Israelites, after an incredible work of God, an incredible worship moment, Three days later, no water, deep pain, desperation. And then they had an experience that I think is even more frustrating. They get to water. Verse 23, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. So they run, I imagine the scene like this, right? They run to the water because they, they see it. And some of them are like dipping their heads in. They're going for it. They're like, oh, water, let's drink it. And then they taste it, and it's bitter. That's not a good sign. It could be poison. It's toxic. Salt water dehydrates. It's not a good situation. They have not found what they're looking for. It's kind of like when you order a sweet tea, but they give you Diet Coke. Yeah. You take that sip, and it's just kind of shocking. That's kind of how I imagine this scene going. These, they're like, oh, that's not good. We're calling, this is Mara. And they kind of like set it to be the place where they remember that's where the water was bitter. That was not a good place. It looks right, but it's not good. Verse 24, people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord. He, Moses, cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. The water became sweet. 
That's pretty cool. Sometimes we read stories like that in the Bible and we're just like, okay, great, like, way to go, God. It's awesome. But sit in that. Undrinkable water became drinkable because of the power of God working through Moses to see this log and to throw it into the water and make it sweet. God used a tree to sweeten a bitter water. The Israelites were grumbling. And they, did, they do what we do pretty often. They take our complaints and we move them horizontally, right? Um, take our complaints to the wrong person and talk about the bad meal at your table with your friends rather than like asking the waitress or waiter, like, hey, like, there's something wrong with this. The person that can actually do something about the problem, they take it to themselves. They just start grumbling. And Moses heard the complaints, and he probably was also pretty thirsty, right? Moses wasn't, you know, void of humanness. He was 100% human only. Moses, really thirsty. Moses heard the complaints, and he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed Moses his plan. I want to draw this. The Israelites grumbled amongst each other, and Moses cried to God. It's really important to mention here that God can handle your grumbling. The hardest stuff that goes on in your life, God can handle it. And He wants to hear it from you. He wants to do something about it with you. I think sometimes uh, we think of prayer without ceasing, that passage in uh, 1 Thessalonians. Is that right? I think it is. Um, but prayer, praying without ceasing. We're like, oh, yeah, that just means that God hears my thoughts, right? The difference between thinking and praying is direction. Just thinking about something over and over and over again is, is not prayer. Prayer becomes, uh, thoughts become prayer when it become, comes with a posture. The Israelites were grumbling. They were being honest. They were being authentic, but they weren't being authentic in the right direction. Moses hears it, takes the grumbling, and cries to the Father. Because Moses knows that God is working for them, that God is for them, that He's their fortress and their shield. God is strong enough for your hard prayers. And as His sons and daughters, He's granted us permission in Christ to go to Him with the difficult stuff. Uh, I'm reading this book. It's a really short book. Uh, it's called When Pain is Real and God Seems Silent. It's by a guy named Ligon Duncan. Um, if 
the premise sounds interesting to you, it's yours after the sermons. They're just first, first dibs, right? But it walks through Psalm 88 and 89, and I think Psalm 88 is so important for us to know as Christians because Psalm 88 is one of these psalms where there's no resolve at the end of it. It's just a hard prayer. And Psalm 88 gives us permission to not feel like we have the answers and to just run to God with our difficult life and our pain. I'm going to read uh, verses 14 through uh, 18. Oh, Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. And listen right here. This is that moment of loneliness that probably a lot of us have felt, that desperation that the Israelites felt when they came to Marah. My companions have become darkness. Or another one, Psalm 42, which the first verse is something that we like to put on coffee mugs, but it makes zero sense if you keep reading. It doesn't make any sense. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? This guy, he feels like God has abandoned him. And I think in the Exodus, the grumbling Israelites, three days without water, probably felt the same. Like, yes, they did just see the walls of water build up on either side of them. But when the, the first time that they came to water and they drank of it, it was bitter. It probably reminded them of the first plague that God put on Egypt. Anybody remember what that one was? The water turned to blood. Like, yeah, God did this great work, but what if he's done with us now? We've probably all asked that question. I've talked to a couple of y'all in here who thought, man, is God just done with me because of my sin? The answer is no. I know it might feel like it, but he's not done. He loves you. He's with you. And he says and he doesn't go back on his promises, that he will never leave you or forsake you. In 
And in Psalm 42, the end of it, God gives this man the strength to say, hope in God, for I shall praise him again for my salvation and my God. Another key insight from this text is, uh, and I think we have a slide if you want to write this one down. In Moses' cry, God provided a way to satisfy those who did not cry out to him. The grumbling world around him did not take their grumbles and complaints and take them vertically. They took them horizontally. But Moses, on their behalf, as a mediator, took their complaint to the Lord. One, that's what Christ has done for us. So we've grumbled and complained in spite of who we are. Christ has taken everything on himself and represented us to the Father. One, so that you can be forgiven, and two, so that your needs could be met. When you guys don't know what to pray, did you know that Christ is interceding for you anyway? You are so taken care of that you don't even have to have the right words to say. Isn't that awesome? But not only is Christ that for us, but for the grumbling world around you. You probably live in a world, go to class with, work with, know people in your family that grumble, that complain, that don't know the Lord, that don't know salvation. That's where we can hear their complaints and take them to God. Because he does listen to you. He hears you. He hears your prayers. If God answers their prayer coming from you, and you can tell them boldly that you're praying for them. Because we believe that the creator of the universe goes like this to our prayers. I need you guys to really believe that this morning, that God loves you enough to listen to you. He does. And when you can tell your your friends, your family, that the God of the universe is listening when you pray, and let's say it's about something that seems arbitrary, right? Uh, Like they're worried that their house won't sell. Pray for them. Or maybe it's more serious that they're losing their job and they don't know where they're going to turn. Or there's a job that they'd really like to have. And you can say, I'll pray for you. I believe that God listens to my prayers. And when that prayer is answered, they come to you and say, what are you doing? What kind of work is this? And you can just say, God cares for you. 
And it's an opportunity to share the gospel when a prayer is answered for an unbelieving world. Verse 26. That's a little part of 25, 26. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. The Lord, your healer. Moses writes here that God tests them. He tests them by saying, listen to me, obey me. I'm not going to harm you. I'm your healer. Doesn't sound like much of a test to me. He addresses here to what I think could have been the fear that Israel had, which we talked about a second ago, the fear that that first drink of water that they got to, they thought was a plague. And he's like, no, I'm just showing you my glory. I'm showing you who I am. He reveals himself to his people in mercy and not in judgment, right? He tells them, after giving them, obey me, listen to me, I'm not going to harm you, he tells them who he is, that he is their healer, their physician. He's giving the people of Israel a confidence to obey and listen by declaring his character to them. If any of you guys have ever struggled being obedient to the word of God, God just wants to declare his character to you today and give you confidence in who he is. And because of who he is, you can do the work. Because it's not you that is fully moving. You have a God who is in you, who's animating you to do the work, the will of the Father, Ephesians 2. The, the works, the good works that have been laid out before you. God has already set them out, and he's giving you his spirit to move in those works. I could stand here and tell you, and rightly, I could sit here and say, here's all the things that you're supposed to do this week. Love God, love others, right? We summed up in that. But God tells them who he is to equip them to do that work, to trust and obey. And uh, I just want you to hear who he is. And Paul David Tripp, a guy that I really admire in the biblical counseling world, says this about God, that everything that the Lord is, he is for you. And so I want you to listen to who he is for you this morning. 
The Lord is your healer. The Lord is your provider. The Lord is your strength. The Lord is your shepherd. The Lord is your rock, is your fortress, is your shield. The Lord is your bread of life, your living water. He's your way and your truth. The Lord is light in this dark world. He's your ever-present help in time of need. And the Lord is your resurrection. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Meditate. That just means chew on in your brain on the character of God in light of the gospel. Know who He is. Know who He is. And love Him. He's for you. Here's the most exciting part of this passage. Verse 27. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees. God's just showing off for these people, right? Like some of y'all, okay, like 600,000 people plus, you know, you've got millions of people out here. God is showing off for these people with 12 springs of water. What's the significance of 12? It's the, the tribes of Israel. So each tribe gets their own spring. It's pretty sweet. God's showing them that He knows them. So I know who you are. I'm not abandoning you. And 70 palm trees. What's the significance of that number? It's the amount of people that went into Egypt. 70 became 600,000. So it's not just saying here, yeah, lots of palm trees for y'all to sit under and, you know, have a good time. But it's 70 palm trees that says, I am the God of the promise. I'm the God of your forefathers. The promise that I made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, I'm keeping for you. That's what 70 palm trees means. He's committed to them, and then he's satisfying them in spite of their grumbling. So, uh, I always like to give a little discipline that I think could be helpful. Um, And we talked about this at College Bible Study a couple weeks ago, so this will be a repeat for you guys. But sometimes we need to practice desperation, so that when real desperation comes, we're ready and we know what to do. The way that the Scriptures teach us to practice desperation is called fasting. And I'm not saying that you've got 
to not eat food and not drink water for a couple of days. I'm saying give something up. And whenever you feel that hunger pain, when you fast, turn that hunger pain into a meditation on the Lord, that He is your provider, that He's your healer, that He's your Father, that He loves you, that He cares for you, that He is merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love. It's a great spiritual discipline to practice suffering, to practice desperation, so that when the real suffering and desperation comes in the world, you know exactly what to do. It's to meditate on the goodness of God and who He is. So, grumbling people, complaining, being satisfied by God. Let's move to the table this week knowing that we're desperate. So as every week we end here in communion. We end at the Lord's table. And as you walk, I want you to think about how great of a need you had for salvation. That your sin was great. I want you to meditate on the hard stuff, the desperation on your way back. And as you go to the table and you dip the bread into the juice, let that be the transition point of where you know that you've been satisfied by God because of Christ's death on the cross. And as you walk back, meditate on the truth that just like God led the Israelites to Elam, He satisfied your every need in Christ. And not just your every earthly need in Christ, but your greatest need of forgiveness of sin. He bore the wrath that our sin deserved so that we could be with Him satisfied forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. Uh, We thank you that you are our healer. We thank you that you are good. We cry out to you in desperation, knowing that the breath in our lungs doesn't go in and out without your command. Lord, we know that when we walk out these doors, there is trouble. And so, Lord, would you teach us to rely on you, that we would know you and that we would know you well. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your son Jesus and all that he's, he accomplished for us on the cross. And we ask that you would help us to walk in light of that truth. Amen.